Rapid and effective action is required to help mitigate climate change and to help adapt to its impacts. To do so, it's vital that policymakers and the public have access to clear and concise climate information. Today, we are exploring the Translate Project, an initiative to provide a unified source of climate information and climate projections for Ireland. Hello and welcome to the MedIron Podcast. I'm Noel Fitzpatrick. Today I'm joined by Dr. Claire Scannell, physicist and researcher with MedIron. Dr. Scannell works in the development of climate services and is a key member of the Translate Project. Thank you very much for coming on today, Claire. It's great to have you in here with us. And uh, it's a project that I think is really interesting and will be really useful for our listeners to learn a bit more about it. Just to kind of get an initial overview. What is the Translate Project? So the Translate Project is a Metairn funded project that provides the first standardised climate projections for Ireland. So this is a step change in climate information for Ireland, where it brings together all the existing kind of climate information, focuses it over the country at a high resolution, enhances it, makes it more robust. And it's a basically a national resource for people to develop their climate adaptation plans from or climate action strategies from, for example. Great. And, and which parties are involved in, in developing this project? So it's a collaborative project. Um, as I said, it's funded by MetAaron, so it's supported by MetAaron scientists. Um, but the work, a lot of the work is done out of the University of Galway and ICHEC, for example, they develop the climate projections. And then in University College Cork, um, a combination between the Department of Engineering and the Marai Institute down there, um, they're developing um, risk vulnerability climate services from the underlying translate data. That's great. And, and in terms of when you're creating this project, who is who is the sort of the target audience? Who's this project for? Decision makers mainly. So there's been a big drive recently in developing climate adaptation plans and climate strategies. So coming from in kind of an international perspective down to a national perspective. Climate change is quite high on the national agenda. Of course. Yeah. And this has kind of led to a drive for climate information, an unprecedented drive for climate information. So organisations like local authorities, state sectors, semi-state sectors, financial institutions, they've all been mandated to create their climate adaptation plans and climate action strategies. This has led to a huge need for climate projection information, which didn't really exist in Ireland beforehand. It existed in a very fragmented way. So there were lots of different types of data that were similar but different that people could could look to or kind of gain insight from. But nobody knew exactly which was the most appropriate one to use. Of so Translate tries to bring that information together in a more coherent fashion so that users who are developing their climate action plans and climate action strategies can just take this one data set that's been standardised and is robust and refined for Ireland um, in order to create their plans. So that's the main person they're for. That's a really useful project. So you're, you're sort of cutting out the need for all these other organisations to almost try to do their own research and looking what, you know, what projection is the most trustworthy or whatever. Yeah, I guess it's not so much in trying to 
tell organisations not to do their own research. It's that that kind of underlying fundamental data set is there for them to do their own work on so that they don't have to look at the kind of climate model side and go, which one should I choose or which scenario should I choose? But they can take that underpinning data set and then develop whatever indicators or indices they might need for their own purpose from that standardised data set. Great. Digging into the the project a little bit, is there a particular time period that it's focusing on in terms of the climate projections? Like, is it out to the end of the century or something like that? Yeah, so it's out to the end of the century, so 2100. It's done in 30-year time chunks um, that overlap, so you have a consistent series of data running through. And it's done for all the RCP scenarios. So you've got RCP 2.6, you've got RCP 4.5, RCP 8.0. But it's also novel in that it's also done projections at a global warming level so that decision makers can look at what the country or their particular region of interest might look like in a one degree world, in a 1.5 degree world, two degree world, all the way up to four degrees of global warming. And this seems to resonate a bit easier with users as it's much easier to explain as opposed to a radiative concentrative pathway. Okay, so you you mentioned a few really interesting concepts there in terms of, you mentioned RCPs. Mm. Can you explain a little bit what what those are? Yeah, Um, so an RCP basically is the amount of carbon dioxide that's put into the atmosphere. It's a measure of that quantity and how the atmosphere will respond to that. Okay, so that so by sort of accounting for those, I guess, those different sort of potential avenues that we could take in terms of our carbon emissions going into the future, you're obviously going to have a different climate projection depending on which pathway we choose to take. Yeah, exactly. So, for example, RCP 8.5 has a much higher level of CO2 in the atmosphere compared to RCP 2.6. So depending on what your risk appetite is, you can choose between the scenarios if you want to adapt to the worst case scenario, you're looking at RCP 8.5. But if you want to take a kind of milder approach, then you can come down the RCP levels. Okay. And in terms of these projections, where are you drawing them from? Is it a range of different models or? Yeah. So the Translate Ensemble, an ensemble is what we call the collection of models that we use, are from the CMIP5 global models. So these are the models that the last IPCC report were based on. So they're a global standard and we choose the models that are most appropriate to use over Ireland. So, for example, different models are better in different parts of the world or they model different things better than others, such as, say, storms. And we pick the ones that are best tuned over Ireland. So we've got... I think we've got 12 different models that we've used, which is quite a large ensemble. So we we take those global models and then we focus them over Ireland. So they start at quite a, a low resolution and we bring it right down to 1.5 kilometres, which is what users really need. They need to have that kind of local context. Great. And if you're bringing together those 12 models or so, I'd imagine there are differences between the models and maybe, you know, each model, every model has uncertainty associated with it as well. How do you how do you manage those those differences? Yeah, so uncertainty is like the elephant in the room when it comes to climate modelling. Unfortunately, you can't escape it. And I think there's a couple of different types of uncertainty that we have to to consider. There's the uncertainty that's within the models themselves, just because it's so difficult to model 
the physics of the atmosphere. So there's that kind of model uncertainty. There's also kind of the uncertainty of that we just don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know how much carbon dioxide is going to be emitted. We don't know what the mitigation targets are going to be. So there's unc- there's there's lots of different types of uncertainty. And what we do is we try and capture the spread of that as much as we can. And when we give people information, we don't give them an absolute, but we give them a range. Mm-hmm. So we look at that in terms of we we call it percentiles, but it really is the kind of lowest end of that uncertainty range, the highest end of that uncertainty range, and what's that middle level. And then we work with users to understand which is the most appropriate level to choose from within that uncertainty range. Okay. And then you also, as you mentioned, you have those those pathways, those emission pathways to to account for those changes in the future that we just don't know about yet. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Is there a particular set of climate variables that you focus on in terms of, say, rainfall or temperature? Like, are there certain things that you've zoned in on for these projections? Yeah. So for the first phase of Translate, so Translate 1, it's mainly temperature and precipitation. So rainfall looked at a daily level. Um, So we don't go below daily. And we've looked at it across different temporal resolutions. So we've got daily, we've got monthly, we've got seasonal, and then we've obviously got the annual mean as well. Now we are currently doing wind speed as well. So that should be released in the coming months um, into the Translate One Ensemble as well, which has come from user engagement. So we weren't initially intending to do wind speed, but it's It's obviously something that people are really, really interested in and need for their climate assessments. So we have gone, started doing that as well. And that makes sense. I mean, Ireland being such a windy country and also with a feature focus on things like uh, wind wind power generation. That was a big driver. I'm sure. (laughs) Maybe focusing in on Ireland then and some of those projections, how, how is Ireland looking in terms of its temperature for the future? So the projections are very clear in that there's a warming signal. So Ireland will get warmer across all seasons. I think we've seen that already this year. If we look at the the climate normals that were released recently, um, it kind of confirms that story that we're in a constantly warming phase. That's important to say as well, isn't it? That it's it's not always something that's happening in the future, that it's it's already taking place. Oh, at the it's moment. already taking place, yes. And I think the the climate normals were released in July and they clearly show that warming trend when you compare the two 30-year time, historical 30-year time periods. And that's, again, that continues on in the future, regardless of what RCP scenario you're looking at or global warming level. So in terms of the temperatures on the extreme ends of the scale, then might we also see more heat waves, for example? Yes. So heat waves are predicted to increase. And again, how much they increase and how more frequent they become and how great the intensity is depends on what emission scenario we're following at that time. Okay, that makes sense. And and you mentioned that it's really all seasons that we're seeing a, a temperature increase. So I guess our, our winters will be will be milder as well. Yes. So what we see is uh, an increase in the winter time. And what's interesting is that we actually see an increase in nighttime temperatures as well. While they're not as important in the winter time, it becomes more important in the summertime when you know 
it for health impacts and things like that if if the nighttime temperatures are increasing to certain degrees. Of course. And I suppose during the winter, I mean, we we, we do have a need for those cold, frosty nights as well, right? In terms yeah. of our agriculture and, and our, our, our wildlife, you know, it's important to have those sort of yeah. pest-killing cold periods mm. as well. Yeah, exactly. We're a pretty rainy country already. Are we going to see more <laughs> rain, do you think? Yes. <laughs> um, so again, Pre, unlike temperature, precipitation is highly variable. So it is, it's a much more difficult thing to model in terms of when it's going to rain and where it's going to rain. So what the models indicate is that on an annual, if you, if you look across the entire year, the trend is that it's getting wetter. Now that trend is different depending on your season. So wintertime, it looks like it's getting wetter. Summertime, it's a bit more complicated at the lower global warming levels. But once you go past two degrees of global warming, summers are getting much, much drier. There is a big decrease, significant decrease in the amount of rainfall that we see. Um, But again, in terms of an annual quantity, the trend is that it's increasing. Okay. And similar to temperatures, will it be a case that we may, that we're going to see more of an extreme sort of distribution of this rainfall, potentially more flooding or? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to tell that from the the climate projections themselves, because as I said, we measure or the temporal resolution of the climate projections are daily. So it's hard to capture those kind of short convective bursts of rainfall, which which kind of often cause those extremes. When we look at the daily amounts, they are getting larger. I think in terms of the amount of energy that's coming into the system from the increasing ocean temperatures as well, that will all lead to increasing rainfall and increasing rainfall intensity. But in terms of what the projections themselves actually say, I think we have to dig into a bit more detail in order to come to quantify that. Okay, that makes sense. And I guess that's something that will be of particular interest to local authorities, for example, when considering like their flood defences and things exactly. like that. Exactly. And we currently have work um, being um, funded with the OPW to look at different return periods in intense rainfall um, from the translate results. So hopefully in the next 12 months, we might get some inf- like further information on that. That's great. That's a, a really good use case of translate exactly. already. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cause what we want to do is we want to make the translate information as applicable to the people that actually need to use it. And the only way we can do that is by kind of working alongside the people using it and trying to develop the actual indicators and indices that they need from the data. Because very often just having average temperature or average rainfall isn't any use to somebody who needs to understand the impact of extreme heat or extreme rainfall or heat waves. We need to work with them in order to kind of extract that nuanced information from those underlying data sets. So Ireland is obviously an island and we're surrounded by the ocean. So has there been research into how changes in our ocean due to climate change may impact our weather? Yes, Medairn are actually collaborating on a project at the moment. So to look at the AMOC in the North Atlantic. The AMOC then. So that's the Atlantic um, Meridional Overturning Circulation. Yes. Is it? Okay, yeah. great. And it's it's like the Gulf Stream, which people may have heard of. That's part of that uh, yeah, system. Yeah, so the Gulf Stream is part of the AMOC system. And what we've seen in observations is a cooling pool just off the coast of Ireland in the mid-Atlantic, um, which isn't represented in the models at all. 
So what Medarin are trying to do is they're trying to improve that representation of that cooling pool in the mid-Atlantic within the model to see how that might impact future climate, which will be really important for Ireland. And particularly if it's something that hasn't been considered or at least modelled before. No, um, there's a few models that have kind of do capture it slightly, but it's something that really needs more research just to understand the impacts. At, At the beginning, you mentioned that this project is aimed in particular towards policymakers, uh, whether that's in government or maybe local authorities or or different sectors. And obviously it's vital to get clear, concise information to these various parties. What do you think is the most effective way of communicating that information? Is it by sort of advising them of maybe the risk to their specific sector? That's a really difficult question. So it really comes down to the user. So what we what we try and do is we try and tailor our information along a user journey because every organization or user, they're normally at different levels of their climate journey. Some are just beginning, some are kind of in that middle stage and others are kind of at the upper end. They're able to take climate information and do whatever they want with it. And we have to be able to tailor information to to suit everybody along that user journey profile. Um, So the way we generally go about communicating our information is just creating products at different stages. We have entry level products such as back sheets that break down the information and give context. And then we have more kind of GIS based products, which kind of allow people to play and iterate around with them. And then you have kind of the underlying kind of hard data sets that people just take from us. And I think what's really key is the engagement across that user journey as well. So there's a term that we use in climate services called co-production, which is creating the tool or the information alongside the user. And that's kind of what that that user journey is all about. That's such an important process because so often I feel that a lot of this research can kind of stay within these closed circles in some ways, particularly in academic circles. And and it's uh, you're sort of preaching to the converted in a lot of ways. So the, the sort of the steps that you're taking to really tailor that information and uh, highlight the impacts to their areas of interest, I think, is is really important, and, and and I've no doubt will have will have a good impact. We often think about climate change in terms of adaptation, so maybe preparing for some change that's going to happen, and then also mitigation where we can, so reducing the the, the worst impacts. We'll translate, sort of, look at those two areas separately. You know, sort of informing how we might be able to minimize the worst impacts, but also how we might prepare as well. Yeah, so I guess Translate kind of forms the first stage of a Medairin-led initiative called the National Framework for Climate Services. And this is a collaboration across the climate service landscape in Ireland. And its aim is to kind of pool together all the knowledge, Translate being the first part of that knowledge, and then filter it out to users precisely so that they can use it within that adaptation space. So, for example, we've worked alongside the EPA to have the Translate data on the Climate Ireland platform, which is the adaptation platform for for Ireland. In essence, yes, Translate is designed to to be used within that adaptation space to, to plan 
um, to be more resilient. In terms of the project itself, it must be firstly a very interesting project to work on. Have there been some key challenges that you've come up against? Anything that really sort of, when you were sort of getting to grips with bringing all this information together, like was there a certain challenge that was really, okay, this is going to be something we're going to have to, uh, it's going to be tricky to tackle? Yeah, I mean, Translate is such a huge project. There's always challenges. I think one of the key things was to take a step back at the very beginning and kind of look at one challenge is to look at model choice because there are so many different climate models out there that you could choose from. And it's understanding how do you choose the best ones for Ireland? And we were lucky that we have such an expert team who have years and years of experience um, in doing just that. They were able to choose the most appropriate um, models. I guess one of the main things that we wanted to do with Translate is to have it as standardised and as robust as possible. So one of the real kind of innovative things and probably most challenging thing was to bias correct the data with the with the observations. And there are so many different ways you can bias correct data. So this bias correcting is when you take a historical period from the model and you compare it to what actually happened in the observations. And then if there's differences, you apply a correction so that the models better represent what actually happened in the past. And then you apply that to the future. So it brings them to a more truer state. And that is very challenging. It takes a huge amount of computing power, especially when you're on a, such a high resolution of 1.5 kilometres. So that was a massive challenge, both computationally and scientifically, to be able to do that in the most effective way possible. So that in terms of like a technical challenge, that was probably the biggest technical challenge. I think the ongoing challenge, which you touched on earlier, is communicating that information effectively so that people understand what it can be used for, but just as well what it can't be used for. When this project maybe wraps up or not necessarily wraps up, but you're looking back on it in a few years time, what do you hope will be the main impact of it? So I hope it will enable people to engage with climate information more easily. Um, I think at the moment there's a fear maybe of of using the information or not understanding the information. And what we're trying to do is just to normalize it so that it becomes part of the conversation when you're making decisions um, and in trying to become more climate resilient. So I think that would be a big win for me if I'm looking back in a couple of years and I go, yeah, it did help create that step change in kind of culture almost in openly using and engaging with climate information. I think that would be a massive impact. As you say, bringing climate, what was, you know, climate data and climate research into public conversation and making it something that, that needs to be discussed on exactly. a daily basis almost. Yeah, that would be a great impact. Considering the impact that that may have on 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 climate and climate policy going forward, I mean, it's it's uh, it's great to be involved in. And is that something that you've been driven to be involved in for a long time? I mean, is climate science something you're always interested in, or have you kind of sort of found yourself in in this area? It's a mixture of both, to be honest. So I did my degree in astrophysics, so my head has always been in the clouds. <laughs> um, I came a little bit closer to to the Earth. Um, I think very early on, 
was lucky with the the university I did my PhD in University of Galway and there was such a huge climate change focus at that university that it was something that you kind of got exposure to probably a lot more than than you could have in in other places and I think it it kind of attracted a huge expertise in climate change to that to that university and it definitely highlighted that it could be very important going forward for me. And then it's such an interesting subject. There's so many different kind of avenues that you can explore and research. I mean, if if you're interested in coding, for example, you can just bury yourself in climate models and you're at the forefront of machine learning, digital twins, climate modeling, these huge kind of supercomputers. It's all there. Or if you want to do the science it's there as well. You can, like I've done research on the Antarctic ozone hole. I've done research in the Arctic, done research in you know, Africa and rain. You know, it's it's so broad. And what, what you're saying there really highlights just how climate touches every kind of system that we have on the planet, whether it's a natural system or a human system. Exactly. And it's it's more that you can be the scientist or the software engineer and stay in that bubble. But I think what I love about it is that I get to bridge across. So I get to be that scientist who understands the data, but then I get to make it into something that people can understand and use and help in their decision making. And that's that's really um, fulfilling for me. I mean, I've had the opportunity of working with, say, people in the Philippines after Typhoon Haiyan and you know, just seeing the impact of having a bit more climate information, understanding about future risks, what that means to them, it, it kind of drives you forward. Of course. So is there another step for Translate planned? Is there more work that's ongoing or, or planned for the future? So, yes, there is. Um, we've just started Translate 2, um, which will be updating the climate models from CMIP 5 to CMIP 6. So CMIP 6 was what the most recent IPCC report used um, for their AR6 assessment report. We'll also obviously be including more variables. So wind speed is being generated from the very beginning, along with relative humidity and solar radiation. So these are very important for the renewable energy sector. And we'll also be doing something on the climate storylines for Ireland, which is just a slightly different way of looking at extremes. So we take a historical event, say Storm Ophelia, and we look at how that might change under different global warming levels. Working on a climate project like this and in in climate science in general, I often ask this question to people working in this area, because something I think about myself as well, do you retain a sense of optimism when you're considering the future? Of course, you have to be optimistic. I mean, what we're doing is we're trying to make ourselves more resilient to climate change. So climate change is happening, but we can make the impacts a little bit less just by kind of engaging with people and helping people understand what the information is saying so that they can make their own climate decisions or climate smart decisions, for example, and help them become more resilient to the impact so that when something does happen, it's not as big, basically, for them. Well, I think that the work you're doing with the Transit Project is is really important and is going to reap benefits for years to come. And I, I, I see you as kind of working in this almost as 
a bridge between climate science and the public and policymakers. And we need more of that for sure. Um, so I think it's a great project. I encourage everyone to check out the uh, check out the Translate website. We'll, we'll uh, include the link to that at the end. But for the meantime, thank you so much for coming on to talk to you. It's been really interesting and uh, we'll follow your work closely from now on. Thank you. That's all for this episode. My thanks again to Dr. Scannell for joining us today. You can find out more about the Translate project by going to met.ie and there's a link in the show notes for that webpage. As always, if you've any thoughts or questions on today's episode, be sure to get in touch on MetAaron's social channels or drop an email to podcast at met.ie. And to keep up to date on new episodes, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Talk again soon.